So Money Episode 56, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You're listening to Ask Farnoosh, our weekend edition of So Money. This is our chance to connect Saturdays and Sundays. It's you and me time. I've uh, been getting all of your questions all week, excited to answer those that I've yet to answer. I know I spent much of yesterday answering your questions, and I've got some leftover questions and some that have streamed through over the weekend, and I'm going to try to do my best to get to every single one. As a reminder to those of you listening, wondering, how can I reach Farnoosh? Just hop on to SoMoneyPodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and ask away. And Honestly, if you don't have a question, but you have a comment or a thought that you'd like to relay to me, this is also the best way to reach me, and I will share that with listeners on the show. So thanks in advance for doing that, and thanks for all of you who have sent in your questions, beginning with our friend Jason. Jason writes in and he says, what kind of estate planning should I do? I'm a divorced father of two children, ages 8 and 11. I have joint custody with my ex-wife. My current girlfriend and I are considering moving in together, but I don't see remarriage in the short-term horizon. I have investments in a 401k. Uh, I have 80000 in equity in my home, a savings account, and Roth and traditional IRAs. I would like my assets to go on to my children's education and eventually to them at a later age. So I would say, Jason, if you haven't already created a will, that would be the first step. You want to make sure that you write out exactly how you want your assets to be doled out uh, upon death. And it sounds like you want to put much, if not all, of your um, your assets into your children's names. So make sure that if you don't have one already, that you go about getting a will uh, written and working with an estate planning attorney would be a great first step. I would also add to that list of things to do while you're estate planning is to get some life insurance if you don't have any life insurance, particularly because you said that you want to be able to provide for your children's education at minimum. Um, of course, there are ways to save for this, but if anything happens to you, um, a life insurance policy, a term life insurance policy, let's say until your kids are, I would say, you know, 22, 23 years old, predictably when they're done with school, that your life insurance policy uh, would be good enough until then. And folks, if any of you are on this podcast as parents and you don't have life insurance, I highly recommend you consider this. It's very, very important. It's not that expensive. If you get life insurance when you're in your 30s, early 40s, you're healthy, you could qualify for a relatively inexpensive term life insurance policy, uh, something like, you know, in the ballpark of a few hundred dollars a year. So a will, a life insurance policy, and I would also say, Jason, check your retirement accounts and make sure that the beneficiaries of those retirement accounts are your children. 
So you have said already that you want to make sure that uh, your assets go to your children at a later age. If something happens to you and you've got these IRAs with money in them, what happens to them? Make sure that the beneficiaries on those accounts are your children. That would be my approach. Speak with an estate planning attorney about a will, get some life insurance, and double check your beneficiaries on those IRAs. Okay, Jason, thanks so much. Tom is next. He says, hello. First of all, love your podcast and thank you for all the informative tips and tricks. <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening. I have a question. Me and my partner just had a baby boy. Congratulations. And we would like to start saving for his college as soon as possible. What type of account can I open so when he is ready, the money can be used for the college of his choice? I know some accounts put restrictions on uh, which state a person can go. Uh, we would like the freedom to send him to any college he chooses. Great question, Tom. And again, congratulations on becoming a parent. I have a baby boy as well. It's uh, absolute, absolute pure bliss. I can only imagine, um, besides the sleepless nights, <laughs> the uh, the incredible um, experience you guys are having right now. And great for you, good for you for thinking ahead, very ahead about college. It's never too soon. I opened my son's college account, savings account, when I was six months pregnant. I guess that's not a shocker coming from me, but really the point there is that it's never too soon to start a college account, savings account. What you want, I think, is a 529 savings account. And you're right, there are two types of 529s. There's the college savings plan, which is um, kind of school agnostic. You know, there's no requirement for which school or which state uh, your child has to go to school in. And then there's the 529 prepaid tuition plan, which has uh, restrictions, like you just said. There are restrictions sometimes in terms of where you can go to school, the state in which you can go to school. And so what the 529 prepaid savings plan allows you to do is to buy basically college credits for the, in the future at today's price at a particular institution or a, a number of institutions within a state. So you're buying basically college credits that are specific to one school or a number of schools. And yes, in the future, when your child goes to execute those credits, it has to be at those schools. So it's very limiting. Uh, the plus side is you're, get, you're getting to basically buy college credits in the, uh, at today's price to be later used in the future. And if you know college prices continue to escalate as they have been year over year, can be a tremendous savings. But it's a huge risk in terms of, you know, maybe your kid doesn't want to go to that school or those schools that are within the uh, parameters of that of that plan. So long story short, what you want to get is a 529 college savings plan, just a straightforward college savings plan. You can open one up um, virtually, you know, at any brokerage, or you can go to savingforcollege.com, a great resource to get educated about all different types of 529 plans. And now these plans are sponsored by individual states. They are managed by individual states. Just because you live in Ohio, though, doesn't mean you have to get Ohio's plan. Or just because you live in New York doesn't mean you have to do the New York 529. You can actually choose from any state. How do you choose? You want to maybe look at what are the best performing 529s. And at savingforcollege.com, they actually do a lot of studies on this and they've got the numbers. So do some homework on the site, look around. They can actually, from there, help you open an account. 
and um, get on some sort of automated plan where you're paying you know, every month into this account. And that money can be used towards any qualifying higher ed institution. Great question and congrats again. Mrs. P, P as in Paul, writes in, um, now I have to say when I first saw Mrs. P, I, I, I got a little uh, excited because I thought maybe it's my English teacher from 11th grade, Mrs. Perchuk. But I don't think so because based on her question, it doesn't sound like Mrs. Perchuk. So, um, so much for that. But Mrs. P, have, thank you for writing. Appreciate you sending in your question. She says, my husband recently learned that he's going to be laid off in three months. We both work full time. Uh, we have a mortgage. We have an auto loan. We have bills. And uh, we have small children. Also, we have low savings due to a recent home purchase. How can we prepare for the loss of the largest income? Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks and enjoy your day. Well, Mrs. P, I will say this, you know, losing your job um, is, a, is, a, is a huge hardship and um, it's no joke. But the advantage you have here is that you know it's coming down the pipeline. Many of us lose our jobs. We have no idea. We go into work. They give us a pink slip. We leave work with a box and all of our belongings in that box and, you know, it's a very devastating thing because you absolutely were not expecting it. In your case, you have the luxury of time and and the luxury of knowing what's coming down the pipeline. That in three months, not even three days or three weeks or 30 days, but in 90 days, in three months, your husband's going to lose his job. So there's a lot that you can do that the average person cannot in this situation. So consider yourselves, first of all, really lucky in that way. Um, not to say that this is a, a happy thing, but that you do have a lot of fortune, great fortune in knowing that this is going to happen. And so you can do some prevent you can take some preventative measures so that your financial house does not collapse. And I would, if I were you, here's what I would do. I would take the next three months very seriously. I would, to the best of my ability, try to live on just my income, the, the spouse that is perhaps not going to lose the job, and tuck away your husband's salary, whatever money he is bringing in from this job right now, between now and the next three months, try to save it. Try to use all of your income to pay for the basic necessities. Now, this may mean that you have to pare down the budget tremendously. It may mean that you have to give up certain things. If you can take the next three months to accelerate your savings and this would be a huge acceleration. I mean, imagine just saving his money, saving his paycheck. Um, that will be a nice buffer for you so that when he is actually out of a job and he's looking for new work, that that money will keep you guys more than afloat. It will be a very nice cushion. The next thing I would do is because you know that he's going to get laid off, you want to make a list of all of the places that you have monthly accounts with, um, whether it's the gym, the cable company, the insurance companies, the subscription services that you have. And when he gets laid off, call each and every one of these monthly billers and let them know that you actually are down one income in your family and that your husband got laid off and that you would like to save money or put freezes on your accounts. My mother actually did this when she got laid off several years ago. First thing she did was she called all of her monthly billers, her utilities company, her cable company, her gym, and every single one of those billers 
made a deal with her. They were like, okay, well, we'll just freeze your account for three months and we'll give you some money back. We'll give you a discount. You know, cable gave her a discount. Utilities gave her a discount. The gym froze her account for three months and didn't charge her um, until she got back on her feet. Good luck to you. And I'm really honest. I'm really serious about the fact that you have three months now to really get your ducks in a row. Now, it's not going to be perfect when he loses his job, but take advantage of these three months to accelerate your savings and go through your budget and figure out really what you need and really what you don't. I would also take these next three months to find work. You know, don't wait until the last day of your job to start working on the resume, to start updating your LinkedIn account. Do this now. Start networking now. Start putting the feelers out now. Thanks for your question, Mrs. P. And please keep us posted. Let us know how things go um, once this transition happens. If you have more questions at that point, I am here. Shannon writes in, she says, hello, I've just started listening to your show and I wanna thank you for the wealth of information. I'm not a very financially savvy person, but I really want to start learning how to be more money conscious. I'm 29 with only $980 in an IRA savings account, $400 in personal savings, and an income of $2,000 a month after taxes. I've almost paid off my credit card debt and I'm working toward a master's degree. My biggest struggle with money is how to keep myself focused on the long term. I grew up poor and struggle with not being able to have things I want. My biggest weakness is food. I love eating out, even if it's fast food. What are some good tips that I could use to change the way I think and make the shift from instant gratification to long-term gratification? Thank you. Shannon, Shannon, you're asking me about what are some good ways to change the way you think about your finances and how to make the shift from instant gratification to long-term gratification. Before I give you that advice, I, I would say that I'm really concerned about your income. Earning $2,000 a month after taxes, probably not much left there, right, to address all of your needs and wants. Sounds like you have still some lingering credit card debt. You haven't saved as much as you probably wanted to at this point in your life and, and really need to, to to retire comfortably at this rate. I would love, first and foremost, to see you bring home more money. And I'm not going to say that's going to solve all your problems, but I think that you could put that extra money to a lot of great use, use that, you know, your current income is 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 unable to provide you. You know, with $2,000 a month after taxes, there's probably not much left after you've paid your rent and you've bought your food and you've paid, put gas in your car to save for your rainy day, save for your retirement. And it's evidenced by current lack of, of savings you have in those accounts. So you're 29 years old, I, I sense you may not be married. You didn't mention marriage or, or, or um, a significant other or no children. So look, you're 29. If I were you, I would be out there hustling, making more money. And I'm not saying you're going to be able to make more money at your current job, but perhaps there are other ways to bring home more money, whether it's a side gig, weekend jobs, um, running errands, um, tutoring, day babysitting, pet sitting. Look, I, I did it all, you know, I did it all with a master's degree. I had no shame. I was pet sitting, I was babysitting, you know, I, I, uh, I needed to make more money in my 20s because it's true, when you're in your 20s and you're approaching 30 now, 
um, incomes have been stagnant for over a decade, all while the cost of living has accelerated over the last 10 years, as we all know. So you're not alone here, and I don't blame you for making you know, what you make. It's kind of how the world works right now, but that's not to say that you have to settle for that. There are tons of ways to make extra money on the side, and I would love to see you bring home an extra $1,000 a month, and that may sound crazy to say, oh my gosh, I'm supposed to make 50% more a month somehow? You can. That's $250 a week. That's an extra, you know, I don't know, $50 a day doing a little bit extra work on the side. And I think you can do it. I mean, it sounds like you... You've got to have some good skills that you're not utilizing on the job that you currently have. Maybe others will be willing to pay you for it. Maybe you're a good writer. Maybe you're a good translator. Maybe you speak another language. Maybe you're really good at science or math. You could be a tutor. Maybe you're great with kids. You could babysit. Maybe you're great with the elderly. You could take care of them. Listen, I want you to do some more work that you preferably enjoy that's worth your time that's going to make you some more money. I want you to be able to enjoy the food that you want. I want you to be able to enjoy the trips you want to take. I want you to be able to not just have a life, but a lifestyle. But you have to afford it. You have to bring home a little bit more money. So that would be my first tip. Now, as far as combating this uh, desire to instantly gratify, you know, we have, hey, we're only human, right? Like I would rather work for something that I can earn today than, you know, 30 years from now. Here's what I would say. Go to the ATM once a week, your bank's ATM. (laughs) Don't pay the fee. And take out however money you think you need for the week to enjoy your foods, have a little bit of fun, maybe make a splurge or two here and there, get your morning coffee, whatever, but budget it out in cash. Let's say hypothetically it's like $30 a week, $40 a week, okay? Take it out in 20s. Better yet, take out a single 50 Um, psychologically, it's very hard for us to break big bills. It just is. The bigger the bill, the harder it is to break it. In other words, we think really long and hard about every single purchase when we use cash and particularly when our wallet is stuffed with big bills because it hurts to sort of, you know, buy a pack of gum with a $50 bill. You're like, I don't want to, you know, break this crisp 50 or this crisp $20 bill. So do that. Have your kind of Um, cash stash for the week to pay for these incidentals, a couple of meals here and there, and that's it. That's your limit. And when you spend with cash as opposed to your even your debit card or your credit card, it's a lot more painful and, and you'll be more conscious. You asked me about consciousness. You'll be more conscious about how you spend. You'll start to appreciate your hard-earned money a lot more. You'll probably end up saving in the long run. In fact, studies showed that when we pay with cash over maybe a year, let's say we stick to a cash diet, households that do this because they wanna get out of debt or they wanna save more, they end up saving 20% more than households that their primary form of payment is credit. So just something to chew on. I think that if you start to incorporate more cash into your spending, that might give you more consciousness and a bigger appreciation for your money and will encourage you to you know, really plan more for the future and to delay gratification. Shannon, thank you so much. I hope this was an inspiring answer for you. I cannot express enough to, especially the younger generation, how important it is to really take advantage of your youth of your singlehood in some cases, you know, the fact that you're just accountable for yourself 
is kind of an awesome thing right now. You know, take advantage of that and of that freedom and work, work, work and make as much money as you can. Tuck away as much money as you can. You will thank yourself so much when you're older because too often I, I you know, I, I work with people in their 40s and their 50s and approaching retirement and the one thing, the one thing they all commonly regret is not having saved more when they were younger, not having tried to make more money when they were younger. So good luck to you, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, and I hope you'll stick around for many more episodes. Hannah writes in, she says, my mom is in her early 50s, and she does not have any retirement savings. I know that I'm going to need to help her when she retires, probably in 15 years. How can I help prepare for this? Okay, Hannah, I don't know. Um your mother's situation. I'm not sure. It isn't, I don't know if she's working. I don't know if she's not working. I don't know if um, she's disabled. I don't know what her health is like. I don't know why she doesn't have any savings. But assuming that she is able to work, assuming that she is able-bodied, that she's in good health, she should try as hard as she can in the next 15 years, more like maybe 20. Let's be realistic. She's not going to be able to retire comfortably at 65 if she has no savings right now to start saving money. Make money and save that money. And you need to have a conversation with her really openly and say, mom, what's our plan? What's our O-U-R plan? I don't think it's fair that it's all coming down on you and you're as you're trying to be a really good daughter. I I feel you. Feel you, Hannah. But come on, Hannah. She, you know, I, I don't know. I and again, I don't know what situation your mother's in if 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 this is just a matter of it is what it is. You just have to take care of her or can she do some things on her own? Can she find work? Can she save a little bit? And I'm not saying she's going to be able to save as much as she needs for a blissful retirement at 65 without your help. But I think that in this case, you want to talk about, mom, what's going to be our plan? And what you may be able to do is to introduce her to things like an individual retirement account. Introduce her to also long-term care. Long-term care is insurance that kicks in in your later years in the event that you need financial assistance with um, personal care needs. Most long-term care is not medical care, but it's like the assistance with basic personal tasks, everyday life. It's actually called the activities of daily living. Things like bathing, dressing, eating, going to the bathroom, going from your bed to your chair. The younger you are when you buy a policy, the lower the annual premiums. And so this might be something that your mother might want to buy now and invest in now. The chances of her maybe needing this in her 60s and 70s is significant. Almost seven out of every 10 of us will need some sort of personal assistance after the age of 65, and we're going to need that help for an average of about three years. That might be a way for her to support herself in the future because, look, I mean, you never know what the future holds. The biggest wild card for people in retirement is the health factor. What will be my health needs? We don't know. It's kind of unpredictable, and it can be a financially devastating thing if you don't have some of these um, securities in place. So look into long-term care. What else you can do? 
I mean, frankly, you can start putting some money away for your mom. I don't know how much you're going to need for her, but if you have some disposable income every month, maybe you want to start squirreling away some money. Do your best, but the first step is to have a conversation with your mom and talk about, mom, what can we do together to make sure that you have a comfortable retirement? Maybe it means that you know, you start downsizing her life little by little starting now. You know, if she's got a car, maybe she sells the car and gets something less expensive. If she's got a mortgage, she focuses on paying down the mortgage. If she's got a lot of stuff, sell the stuff. Simplify her life, her finances, so that it becomes less of a burden on her and ultimately on you. So Hannah, thank you for your question and good luck to you. And let me know if you have any further questions. Lewis writes in, he says, just want to say that I'm really loving your honest and transparent podcast. I just recommended your podcast to my daughter. I'm the author of My Street Money and Small Business, Big Life for Women. Keep up the great work. Yeah, Lewis, I know you. Thank you so much. I follow you on Twitter, as a matter of fact. And so I I really appreciate it. It's an honor to know that you are a fan of the show. And I'm uh, very grateful that you've shared this with your your daughter. I I thank you and uh, hope you'll continue to listen. Okay, that's a wrap. Thanks, everyone, for sending in all your questions. Thank you to you for tuning in. As always, if you'd like to send me your questions, hop on to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh, and ask away. And I do this every Saturday and Sunday as my way to connect with you and to say thanks for listening. And uh, that's it. And and uh, hope you all are doing okay with spring forward. We lost an hour, but you know what? We get to enjoy a little bit more sunshine in the afternoon, especially if you're on the East Coast and how cold it's been. It'll, it is much appreciated to have a little bit more sunlight in the afternoon, early evening. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we got a great, great week for you ahead, including Tim Ferriss, author of 4-Hour Workweek, and many more spectacular guests. Thanks, everyone. Hope your day is so money. 